Good morning. Welcome. I invite you to stand as we worship this morning, and welcome to everyone watching from home. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord God, we offer up this time to you. We pray for your will to be done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
to see you. It's nice to be in this building and have other people here with us. So glad that you could be here and uh, glad that you could join us this morning. And you know, there's not a lot of you, but you're, you're making your presence known and you can just hear the worship and engagement. So God bless you. Why don't you uh, wave to somebody before you're seated this morning? I want to welcome all of those of you as well who are uh, watching us from home and uh, we're glad that you joined us as well. So we just pray that this day would be a great one for you. You can be seated this morning. So obviously we are, uh, we are back to meeting in person and so it's nice to be back with you this morning. For those of you who are uh, intending to come in, in, in future weeks, uh, just to remind you that on Monday mornings at 9 a.m. registration will open, ask you to register sometime. It closes about an hour before the service, I think 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, so you'd register sometime in there and uh, Great to have you here and to be a part of it. And as I mentioned last week, right now, just with, with things being um, the way they are, we're just, we're just going to forego visiting inside the building. So just a reminder for you that uh, at the end of the service, uh, just directly exit, but you can feel free to visit outside if you want to do that. But right now, we're just going to hold off on visiting inside the building, uh, just, just in light of what's happening, and then hopefully soon. Um, you know, then, then we'll be able to do that again. So it's great to have you here. Good to remind you of those things this morning, and it's good to be able to worship together uh, in, these, in these different ways. Kids, you are free to go, and uh, Pastor Esther's over here, and um, uh, I don't know how many of you there are, but hey, you know what? It's uh, whatever we have, whoever we have, that's, uh, that's what we're doing this morning, so... Glad that uh, you can be here and be uh, a part of this uh, with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be praying a little later at the end of the service for some specific needs that are represented in our congregation, but uh, at this time, I'm just going to hand it back to Tyler. He's going to continue to lead us, and I uh, just encourage you to continue to worship, and at home, just worship along with us, and uh, just uh, 
for this to be as meaningful for you as, uh, you know, we pray it'll be as meaningful for you as, as possibly it can be. Okay, Tyler, thank you. God bless you this morning. you to stand as we continue to sing together. Be my life and breath.
Sanctifying 
went beyond our understanding. You're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the
scripture this morning is found in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. It says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Well, like many of you, I am a planner. I'm a planner. For the most part, I'm very intentional. I don't just live in the moment. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm thinking about next steps. I'm thinking about what needs to be done today in order to be prepared for tomorrow. Now, life since March 2020 has been somewhat frustrating for those of us who are planners because of the uncertainty that's been created by the COVID pandemic. Many of our plans have been affected or even canceled. Some of you have not been able to see family or friends who live far away for a really long time. Some of you finished high school without a formal graduation. Some of you started university thinking you were finally going to get away from your parents and out of your parents' house, and here you are two years later in your bedroom staring at a screen working on your university courses. 
Some of you had to get married but could only have a few people to be a part of your celebration. Some had to bury loved ones and couldn't have the support of family and friends around them like they could in quote-unquote normal times. Some of you have had to suffer because of your elective surgery that was postponed. Some of you are actually living with a chronic illness and you don't know how much time you have left and the past 22 months has denied you the opportunity to make the most of the time that you have left in the way that you wanted to. And the list goes on and on and on of how plans or intentions that we've had and how they've had to change. We've been reminded of many things these past couple of years, but probably nothing more vivid than the fact that life is fragile and uncertain. Our current preaching series is entitled, It's About Time. And we have said that the Bible deals with the theme of time in many places and from varying perspectives. And so in week one, we dealt with the theme of time from the perspective of, of hardship, specifically when time seems to keep going without any change taking place. Last week, week two, we dealt with the theme of time from the perspective of reward as we considered the parable of the vineyard workers. Today, we're going to be considering the attitude we should have when planning the use of our time since life is fragile and uncertain. And so we'll be reminded today that since life is fragile and uncertain, our time should be planned in partnership with God. Now, James speaks to this issue in our scripture that we've read today, and so let's take a look at it so we can actually dig into what it is that he has to say about this important topic. He starts with the idea of plans. Now, the book of James as a whole, and specifically the verses that are leading up to our particular passage today, he's been addressing the issue of arrogance and pride and self-centeredness and how all of these things can affect, you know, um, how we live our lives, how these things affect how we live. That arrogance and pride and self-centeredness is actually a reflection of the world's values, not a reflection of the values that are central in the kingdom of God. And so he's been appealing to his audience to instead humbly draw near to God, to, to approach life from a different perspective. And so in this particular section that we've read this morning, he, he focuses on a very specific particular group and a scenario that was familiar to all of his readers in order to call them once again to centering their lives on kingdom values. And so the group he's using as an example here are businessmen. He's using the example of businessmen who often traveled, and in those days, the travel was either by, most likely by ship, or they would travel by caravans to different places, different countries, different cities to conduct their business. They represented, these businessmen represented 
materialistic prosperity in the time that James was written. And so we can assume that these businessmen that he's addressing are believers since his whole letter is written specifically to the community of faith. And so to address people that are, are, you know, are, that are not in the community wouldn't make sense because they, they wouldn't be reading this. And so he begins with these words. Now listen. Now listen. Because what he is about to say is critically important and they need to pay attention, very close attention, to what it is he's about to say. James has observed in in watching these businessmen carry out their business, he's observed the way that this particular group make plans for the future. And he said, this is what you say. You say, well, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, and then we'll carry on business and we will make money. Now, what James has done here in this one sentence is actually articulated for us a very specific and carefully crafted plan. This is not just, you know, a random thing. This is a very carefully crafted plan. It outlines the timing of when it will take place. There's a date set. It'll be tomorrow or the day after or such and such a day. There's a date that's set. A place is identified, whatever city it is that is calling that businessman to, to, to do the business, whatever is the priority for that place where he sees that perhaps there will be success. It's the length of the time for the trip, one year. It's not like in the day and age that we live in where you could jump on a plane in the morning and fly to one part of the country a few hours in a few hours and then be back by the end of the day. I mean, if they're going somewhere... It's going to take a long time to get there, and it's going to, you know, it's going to require a long trip. So he says, you know, it's about, it's about a year, which was not uncommon. It states the intent of the trip, to do business, and he announces the goal of the trip, which is to make money. And so James is watching this unfold in the community of faith, and he's observing and sharing with them what it is that he's seeing. To be a successful business person in this time, in this community, a carefully crafted plan was necessary. And so James identifies the plans. Secondly, presumption. James' concern is not focused on their business activity or on their desire to make money. Because neither of these things is the problem. The problem is in their attitude. Specifically, their sense of self-importance, their sense of self-sufficiency. He accuses them of being arrogant. Of being arrogant. That's a very strong accusation. He accuses them of being arrogant, of, of having confidence in their own ability and in their own knowledge because they're planning their future as if they know just what the future holds. They're planning their future like they are in control of their future. And most importantly, they are planning their future and God has no consideration in their plan. God has no consideration in their plan. It is a very human plan. 
And so James points out that they, they have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. That there's an uncertainty. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone how would they know what's going to happen a year from now. And so he reminds them that life is fragile and uncertain. That they have a false sense of security and superiority in their own abilities and in their own knowledge and their own presumptions. That life actually is like a mist that covers the mountains in the early morning, but then as the sun rises and takes its place, the mist disappears with the sun. Their preoccupation with material things in the pursuit of profit has led them to the point where they are neglecting God. And so even though the goal of their business was or is to make money, the fact that they are believers calls them to focus first on their relationship with God, first on kingdom values, and not merely on materialistic cultural values. Now, James uses strong words like evil and sin to describe their behavior. The result of pursuing the future without any consideration for God is harmful for them. It's wrong. It's contrary to the will of God. It goes against the very fiber of the values of the kingdom of God. And so the issue is not about their planning. The issue is not about running a business. The issue is, is not about making a profit. All of those things are fine. The issue is one who claims to be a believer having confidence in their own abilities and plans to the point that they fail to include God in their processes. And then he ends with talking about partnership. James doesn't just spend time calling them out, criticizing them, and calling out their arrogance. He provides for them an alternate approach, a better reproach, approach that better reflects the values of the kingdoms, kingdom of God that they should follow. So he doesn't just call them out and leave them there. He, he suggests a better way. Instead of planning their future in the confidence of their own knowledge and their own abilities, he says, you should plan based on the Lord's will, on the Lord's will. Now, what exactly does this mean, to plan based on the Lord's will? Now, I've, I've heard varying opinions on, on how people interpret this and, and, and how people live their lives in this understanding of the Lord's will. What actually does it mean when James uses these words here in the original language? What is it he's, he's saying? It's important to understand that this terminology, the Lord's will or the will of, of, you know, of God, is found within the Greek language having originated in early Roman religious practices. That's where the word came from. And where in that culture at that time, nothing of importance was carried out in Roman culture without first consulting the gods. They would, they would go to the temple, they would consult the gods because they wanted to be successful. And so, 
In some ways, it was kind of a blending of, of religious things and maybe even throw in a little bit of psychic things in there. And they, they just wanted to know that if they were going to do something significant, that the gods were on their side. And so, uh, you know, so they would, they, would do, they would do these things. Now, within Christianity, James takes these words. He takes these words that mean something in the Greek and Roman culture, and he uses these exact same words, the Lord's will, when he's talking to followers of Jesus. But what we find is, obviously, it's, 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 it's got a little bit of a different meaning. Same general idea, but a little bit of a different meaning for them than it did for the Romans. For followers of Jesus, it would mean to seek what is it that God would require or wanted of a person or a situation. What it would say within the realm of Christianity is, you know, expressing a desire. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit as I make plans and as I make decisions. It declared within Christianity a submission to God, giving one's life to God and the intention of not facing an uncertain future without God involved in leading them. It would be a desire to do and be what God wants them to be so, and to do. So to seek the Lord's will would be to ask, where, God, where would you have me go? God, what would you have me do? How can I best use my time? How can I best use my abilities? How can I best use my resources to accomplish your purposes, not just my plans? And so James takes this word and brings it down to kingdom thinking and kingdom values. And he tells them as well, though, that knowing the right thing to do, you know, I often have people, you know, remember back in the day when you could actually stand in front and pray for people? Those days? And oftentimes, people would ask me to pray for a decision that they have upcoming. They wanted to do the right thing. And I always pray two things in those environments. I, do, I pray for wisdom so people will know, but I never pray for wisdom that I don't pray for courage. Because I, I believe that sometimes we can know what it is we need to do, we have to do, God would have us to do, but sometimes we lack the courage to follow through on it. And so I always pray you know, whether you want to use the word faith or trust or whatever, but I always pray for wisdom and courage. And so what James says here is this. He's telling them that knowing the right thing to do is important, but it's not enough. It's not enough. They need to know the right thing to do, but they need to do it. In fact, he says, to know what is right to do and to do something different is a sin. It's evil. Knowing what is right, knowing what, we, what should be done, knowing what God expects, and neglecting to do that, well, James says that that's just wrong. And so James' message here, and this is important to understand, he's using these businessmen as an example, but he's not only talking to business people here. He is talking to the entire community of faith that he's writing to because the principle of what he's teaching here applies to all followers of Jesus who are living their lives in the context of the kingdom of God. 
And so he's reminding them that since life is fragile and uncertain, our time should be planned in partnership with God. Now, I would like to highlight four very brief takeaways. And when I say very brief, I actually mean that. I know when pastors say brief or in conclusion, they never mean it, but I really do. They're just four brief takeaways from our scripture today. The first thing I want us to be reminded of, I believe that this scripture reminds us of, is this. Planning is important. Planning is important. As indicated earlier, James' intention is not to say that planning is wrong. What he has shown us is that planning while neglecting God is wrong. In fact, biblically, if you study the scriptures as a whole, to not plan, to not live your life intentionally is wrong. And so we are called to use our time in a way that best serves the kingdom of God. And that can only happen by planning and being intentional and making the most of the time and the resources and the, the, the abilities that we have. And so what I see coming at us from this scripture is plan away. Don't stop planning because planning is important. Secondly, see that was brief, right? Secondly, success can make us arrogant. Success, I didn't say success does make us arrogant. I said success can make us arrogant. Now, the truth be told, most of us want to succeed in life, right? I mean, when I was... When the girls were growing up and, and you know, I would, you know, they're talking about their careers and stuff and I would, I would talk to them and I'd say, you know, we had this joke. I would always say, you know what, low expectation, minimal disappointment. Just, just you, know, you know, just shoot for the stars and hope to hit the ceiling. Don't expect too much. It was, it was, a, it was an ongoing joke for us. Because the truth is most of us want to succeed in life. We want to succeed in life. We want successful relationships. I mean, we want, to be, we want to have successful marriages, what we would deem to be a successful marriage. We want to be successful in our families. We want to be successful in our friendships. We want to have successful careers. I mean, most of us don't set out thinking, oh, I, I hope I fail miserably at this. Like that, you know, we want to be successful. We want to succeed in our academic pursuits. If we don't, at least our parents want us to. So that pressure is there. We want to succeed in earning enough to live on. Desiring to succeed is not wrong. However, have you ever noticed that sometimes when we succeed, our confidence grows to the point of arrogance? Nothing wrong with confidence being boosted. We all need that from time to time. But sometimes it grows to the point of arrogance. We begin to feel, well, I was successful, so now I'm feeling a little more self-sufficient. We begin to focus on our abilities and our intellect. Look, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. We start taking the credit for our accomplishments. And before we know it, well, we can end up down this road where we just become arrogant. And in our arrogance, we look down sometimes on others. Because if we're so successful and we're arrogant about it, then when we look around us and we see people that we don't deem to be successful in these areas, then, then we, we tend to look down on them. I mean, that's, that's human nature. And so when we look around us, and, and you know, I've, I've learned through the years, you know, sometimes you look at 
certain families. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you look and you just say, oh, you know, like that, that family has got it all together and I wish my family had it all together. And, and I would say to you, if you only knew what I knew, you wouldn't want to be that family. <laughs> but it also works in the opposite as well, is that, is that sometimes there are people who, you know, they, they do have successful families or relationships. And, and if arrogance slips in, they find themselves criticizing people who don't. And it's like, well, you know what? If they were a better parent, they would have better kids. Or if they, you know, whatever. And so this can start to slip in. And so we look down on the relationships that are struggling. When arrogance slips in, we look down on those who've not been as successful in their careers as we have been. Or we start to look down on those who are struggling in their academics. Or we look down on those who, who don't have the material possessions that we've been able to require, acquire. And so the point is this. Success is not wrong, but arrogance is. And that's, that's James' point. Success is not wrong, but arrogance is. So, so be careful because... Success can make you arrogant, and that's a dangerous place to, to arrive at, so just, just be careful. Thirdly, whoops, life is fragile and uncertain, and I know I've said that a few times today, but it's kind of the theme that's woven through the whole passage. Most of us understand that life is fragile and uncertain, and the reason we understand it is because we've experienced it firsthand for ourselves. That's why we know it. Many of us have learned that it only takes a moment and life is forever changed. We have all made plans only to have those plans disappear in a heartbreaking manner. Many of us can point to a date or a time or an event that was so painful and so unexpected in our lives that it forever has marked our lives. Our lives are changed and we can look and say, that was the moment where life for me changed. Many of us know that reality. Some of us have experienced the joy of, of overcoming a major medical challenge to then only lose that joy because of a small side effect that, that wiped out all of the success of what was done before. Many of us know people who have worked hard their entire lifetime and they retire and they die unexpectedly a month or six months or eight months into retirement. Some of us have had the experience of sitting in a doctor's office, waiting for what you think is going to be a routine, simple report, only to find out that your life is now being discussed in terms of months and years. Because life is fragile, and life is uncertain. And most of us have already learned that lesson very well. That the only certainty really in this life is our trust in the faithfulness of God. And finally, my time is God's time. Church and faith have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And in our particular tradition, a lot of emphasis is placed on a decision to accept Jesus 
as our personal Lord and Savior. That, that is core to our tradition. And for good reason, because it's a very important decision. But I have observed over a lifetime that often more emphasis is placed on that initial decision to accept Jesus and much less emphasis is placed on what it means to truly surrender our entire lives to him once that decision has been made. Because the truth be told, it, if you're a part of any faith tradition, it, it can become easy to say the right words. You learn the language. You know the expressions. It becomes easy to say all the right words, but sometimes our lives lack the example of what it means to truly be surrendered to the, value of the, the values in the kingdom of God that Jesus himself has invited us into. Sometimes we compartmentalize our faith, that this part of my life is, belongs to God. This part of my life is a spiritual part. This part of my life belongs to, you know, to me or to my career or to my family. And this part of my, my life is not spiritual, but this part of my life is spiritual. Sometimes that's how we approach life. We, we, we break our lives up into pieces and we decide which pieces are, are spiritual and which pieces are not, which are important to give to God and which ones are, are not important for us to give to God. This approach shows up when our lives are observed and it can be seen how we use our time. Or it shows up in how we spend our money or it shows up in how we contribute our talents and training and abilities. It shows up in how quickly we accept and love some while rejecting and, dare I say, even despising others. It shows up when our options and our demands are focused on what we want and what we think and less on supporting the needs of others. Folks, the truth is being a follower of Jesus is so much more than responding to the message about Jesus. As important as that is, it's more than responding to a message about Jesus and making that decision to accept him. It's also about devoting our entire lives to the message of Jesus, to what it means to live and serve in the kingdom of God. And so when we decide to accept Jesus, everything in our lives at that moment is then surrendered to him because we know that we will really truly only know life when we give our lives away. That's what Jesus said. And so living in submission to him is more than words. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Living in surrender to him is more than words. It's more than just a decision that I made one day in my life. It's more than that. It's living every day in submission to him. It's more than words. It's our entire life's focus because my time is God's time. My life 
is God's life to use. And our lives should reflect that. And so since life is fragile and uncertain, our time should be planned in partnership with God. Would you stand with us this morning as Tyler leads us? And I want to encourage you today, whether you're here in this building or you're watching for some, from somewhere else or listening some, from somewhere else, that as we sing this song together, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see your life and say, God, you know, I, I want to be, be someone who understands that my life is yours. And I want my life to reflect that, not just in words, but in truth and reality. In every area, in every way, help me to be that person. Help me to live that life. Help me to surrender myself to that point. Tyler, would you lead us this morning? You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. There I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name, and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you Take me deep 
Oceans rise. 